before service felt a number of things come through my mind that I, I felt to share. And I jotted a few scriptures down and a few things I'd like to talk about. And it's, again, love. Uh, the past uh, few weeks, and God has really just been speaking to me concerning love, speaking to this church. And there's just been some very interesting observations as we've been preaching and teaching on love. And, you know, as, as an apostolic church, as Pentecostals, sometimes this, this will sound awful, but sometimes we almost stray away from love because it's almost out of fear that it's like some like smarmy, warm, mushy, compromising uh, method or approach. But it's not. Love is totally biblical. Love is who God is. And so if we're not careful, we can, we can so focus on truth and we completely miss love and we miss grace. And so we want to make sure that it's not an either or, it's a both and. And if we don't familiarize ourselves with the nature of God, uh, all the nature that we can learn about through the Scripture, I mean, obviously God is holy. The two main things you find about God in Scripture is God is holy and God is love. Those are the two main attributes that are reiterated over and over and over again. Um, But as Pentecostals, we like to focus on God is holy, you know, holiness, holy lifestyle, separation. And, you know, we preach it, we know we teach it, we know we live it. But we don't ever want to get so familiar with that, that we're jaded, cold, indifferent, or uneducated about God is love. And uh, so just I want to share just some interesting observations uh, in, in things I've seen when preaching about the love of God. Um, you would think that it's like an easy sell. Um, you know, to use just a pretty basic term, that it's a it's a it's a subject matter that you could easily come to the pulpit with, easily deliver, and it's going to have wonderful results by simply speaking about the love of God. But the truth of the matter is, it doesn't play out that way. When you read in John three sixteen, you know God so loved the world, right? But you go on reading it, the reaction to the love of God is not a warm reception. It's the fact that actually darkness is chosen in greater number than the love of God, which is something that should shock us. You would think because I'm talking about the mercy of God, the love of God, the grace of God, that there would be a mass unison of let's go get it. Let's go get the love of God. Let's, let's embrace God because he's trying to embrace us. But Jesus, Jesus is the one that is displaying God's love, who is God incarnate, love incarnate, the nature of God right then and there. And he just gives us right in the beginning of his ministry uh, a heads up saying, I already know that this message of love is not going to be received, that this message of love is going to be resisted. This message of love, like like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so will the son of man be lifted up. But the purpose of it is that if Jesus would be lifted up, that he would draw all men unto him. Now, I, I, uh, I, I believe very strongly that the world that we live in is very spiritual. Now, I don't try to spiritualize everything, you know, uh, because you could run the risk of going off the deep end and everything is whatever, spiritual. And though I think a lot of what goes on in society, there are spirits behind things. There's very few, if anything, that really is neutral. Now, material is neutral. But as we talked about this a, a few weeks ago or a week ago, that 
the devil will always monitor and observe the material world, the physical world, the natural world to see what gets our attention, what triggers our emotions, how we react to things, and he will attach himself to the material world. He will attach himself to the physical world and work behind the scenes in any type of way that would be an influence for us to be led astray from God's will and God's plan. And so it's important for us that we are aware of that. That's why we have to, as it says in Colossians 3, to set our affections on things above. This is why we got to be spiritually minded and spiritually focused because we might miss what's going on behind the curtain. We might be missing what's going on behind the scenes. That doesn't mean like every, everywhere you walk, you got to wonder, is there a spirit behind this music stand? Is there a spirit behind this subwoofer? Is there a spirit inside that Kleenex? That's not the point. Because, again, you, we could get weird in that kind of way. But just a, here's four quick examples uh, of Scripture is that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The kingdom of heaven is not meat and drink. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. It is reiterated over and over again that this is more than the material world. This is more than the physical world. And so the devil is the master. You know, we kind of tongue-in-cheek talked about snake handling the other week. Uh, and we mentioned that the devil is a, a mastermind of, of subtlety, of, of working behind the scenes or setting up smoke screens. Because the moment that we are on the precipice or uh, exposing him, if he is found out, his, his go-to thing is like, you know, intense reaction or to try to create a smoke screen, a, a distraction to get your eyes off of what's going on. And it's, it's happened so many times when, when working with people, when you start getting to the issue or the, 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 the matter, the, 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 the problem, the situation, all of a sudden, like, they divert the attention off of that. They'll bring up something else here, there, wherever to divert our attention. And if we're not careful, we end up going down that, that rabbit trail and we miss the moment that we could have addressed the situation. Now, we mentioned First John 4, 18 through 20 this past Sunday, and, and I'll, I'll read through it again in regards of love, okay? Because why, why would someone be afraid of love? Why would you fear love? But that is really the issue. What did Jesus prophesy about is going to happen when you read in Matthew 24 that the love of many is going to wax cold? It is the condition of humanity right now where people are jaded, people are callous, people are scarred, people have had some horrible experiences growing up where love is cold and people are legitimately afraid of love. And it to, you know, we would think, why would we be afraid of love? But there's a reason for that. First John 4.18 says, there is no fear in love. There's none of that. There is no fear in love. Now, that, that word fear there is, you know, where we get the, the word phobia, uh, something that would alarm you, something that would frighten you, something that would terrorize you. That would be the, the extreme of it, where you not just alarmed, not just frightened, but you, you get to the end result of you are uh, um, in terror. You're completely, you can't even operate, you can't even function. And so John says there is no fear. There's no alarm in love. 
There's no fright in love, and there's no terror in love. That's kind of like the tiered level of it, from being alarmed to being frightened to all of a sudden now being in terror. But see, perfect love, the mission of God's love is to cast that fear out, to drive it up, out. And we mentioned this on Sunday. The reason why is because fear has torment. That word torment is infliction. It's it, 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 the, 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 the side effect or the consequence or the result of having any element of fear inside of you is there is a tormenting, a fearful spirit is a tormenting spirit. And if that spirit can torment you, if that spirit can inflict you, then you can't be made perfect in love. You can't be made complete in love. That doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Now, that tormenting spirit will begin to say, God doesn't love me, or God can't change me, or things aren't going to change. This is just the way. See, that's the tormenting of the spirit of fear, is that it will begin to convince you that I'll never be made perfect. I'll never know this love that I hear preached about. I'll never know this concept that I read about. But they, 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 I see she experiences it, and he experiences it, and that family has it. But I just, I'll never have it. And you almost feel like you're on this quest for something that you'll never obtain. But that is not the will of God. For God so loved the world. Every single person birthed in this earth is to experience the love of God, the perfect love of God. What did Jesus say about Satan? He's got nothing in me. He's got nothing on me. There, there, I, he's tried. I, give it, I gave him his hour of darkness, but he's got nothing in me. So when you, you have Jesus, when you are filled with the Holy Ghost, the ultimate will of God is for there to be no fear, no footing, and no square inch that the enemy has in your heart, your mind, and your soul. And so if we have that fear, we're not made perfect in love. Verse 19. Now, we love him because he first loved us. And so we also mentioned on verse 20 that if a man says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he that loves not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And so this is where it's very important that we monitor relationships with with people. Because our interactions in the natural are very indicating of our relationship in the spiritual. How we interact horizontally shows how we're doing vertically. And so this is why you can't just like brush off, you know, your behavior towards anybody. And in fact, Jesus, he he addressed it in the New Testament because, you know, in the Old Testament, there seemed to be some like wiggle room that if someone mistreats you, then eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for a life. But Jesus, that's not the way this that's not how the love of God works. You'll never be made comp- perfect in love until you learn how to deal with the natural. If you want to know how to get peace in the spiritual. And so he deals with relationships with people. And he says, look, if someone hates you, uh, Jaden was just uh, talking to me before church. Or he was he was circled in his Bible, a scripture. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 11, I believe it was. And Jesus said, blessed are ye when you are persecuted, you know, for my sake. And uh, basically, here's this this negative thing happening to you. But there's some blessings that will never happen unless you're hurt. There's some blessings that will never come. Now, we all say, I want to be blessed to God. But, you know, to what extent do you want to be blessed? (laughs) So so we'll have like our cap up. Like, I want to be blessed only this far. (laughs) 
Because that blessing over there is going to take me getting hurt, me getting persecuted, me getting attacked, me getting whatever. Um, and, and so if we want the full blessings of God, you're going to have to take the full beatings that come with it. You're going to have to take the bruisings that come with it. There's just some blessings you don't get unless you're going to open yourself up to hurt, to being hurt, to being persecuted. And so uh, we uh, see this verse in verse 20 that, you cannot really be made perfect in love until you work in these other areas of relationships. And I'm not going to get into the detail of that right now. But 2 Timothy 1.7, the, the, the next verse is about fear and love. Why would we fear love? And we're familiar with this one probably somewhat. God has not given us the spirit of fear. Now, the other fear we read about was a phobia. It's where we get the word phobia. But this is a different fear. And this fear literally means timidity, and it comes from the word faithless. For God has not given us the spirit of timidity, or the truer meaning, God has not given us the spirit that is faithless. And this is what fear does to us, is if that spirit of fear gets a footing inside of you, you'll have a timid spirit about the things of God, or you'll have a faithless spirit in the things of God. And that is what the enemy wants to accomplish in a saint of God, a child of God, or anyone that would be on, on the brink of wanting to serve the Lord, is that if he can intimidate them or make them timid in the love of God or make them faithless in the love of God or faithless in what God can do through them, then we're in trouble where our, our faith is hijacked and now we're stagnant or we're going to wither. But he goes, God didn't give you a spirit that is timidity. God did not give you a spirit that is faithless. God gave you power and what? Love. Love. And here's, it's, I've been saying this a number of times here lately in the past 30 days because I'm trying to read the Bible in 30 days and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm one, one and a half days away now. And so what, what's, what's interesting is if, if you do a word search, you just type the word faith and love, you will see a, a litany of scriptures flood your word search of how many times faith and love are coupled in scripture together over and over and over and over again. And this is what it was just, it was very clear. Um, you know, I, I, I've noticed it over the years in preaching and ministry, but lately it's been very evident why there would be such fear when preaching on love. Because the spirit is afraid of love. Because love casts out fear. And what is fear? Fear is a spirit that produces timidity and a faithlessness in somebody. And if we are faithless, we're hopeless. If we are faithless, whatever it is, you pick whether it's for a healing, whether it's for a family situation, whether it's for your salvation, whether it's for reconciliation, whatever it's for. If you are faithless, you are not ever going to attain it. You're not going to have it. And so this is reminding back to those statements, you know, uh, uh, the kingdom of heaven is not meat and drink. The kingdom of God cannot be inherited by flesh and blood. Uh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, etc., is that when, when you recognize it in yourself, if you ever recognize in yourself when the message of love is going forth and there's an uncomfortableness in your response to it, it's, it's the, 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 the spirit that torments you is going to try to convince you that that love 
is an attack or that love is something other than what it is. And it robs the faith of what love can do. That perfect love wants to cast out that fear. Now, here's the deal is it's not ever the person being attacked by love. It's the spirit that is attacked by love. And that spirit attaches to material. And for us, you know, it's our flesh. And so it will so couple itself to our ear and to our mind that when love is spoken, when love is preached, when love is taught, all of a sudden the voice comes and then there is the resistance to the response of the most graceful, kind, compassionate ser- type sermon you could ever hear. The love of God. But love has waxed cold because we live in a fearful state. We live in an, a state full of depression and anxiety. We live in a, a state of opposite of trust and opposite of faith and opposite of hope. And so that's why when we come to a church service, and let me just jump forward real fast and say this. Just the past few weeks talking about love, I've, I've watched it in the service. You know, you, you don't get to see what I get to see because I'm like, you know, looking at faces and you're looking at the back of skulls, you know, and, uh, you're, and you're looking at, at me. But I'm telling you, I, you see the love of God reaching for people. And it's not an offensive message. It's not an aggressive message. It's the most compassionate, merciful, merciful message. But the person that has the spirit of fear, the reaction isn't what we think it should be. All of a sudden, it's, it stiffens. It hardens. It starts main, like getting distracted or moving its eyes away. It can't look the preacher in the eye. It, it can't approach the altar. All of a sudden, these, these, these force fields come up and this resistance comes up. And I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking, like, what in the world? Like, this is, we're not preaching on, like, you know, separation. We're not preaching on, like, walking down the line of holiness. We're just talking about the love of God. You know, for the love of God, you would think that people would want to run to the altar and take it in. But what I've learned is you will find a spirit by its reaction to love. And when love is preached and it's resisted, you will find inside somebody where fear has a stronghold in them. Now, that that spirit will lie to that person and say, the preacher's attacking you or it, it will distract your mind or, or you will do whatever it can because the enemy of fear is love. And it's like, you know, how, how is love an enemy? How is love dangerous? But love is the most dangerous thing to the spirit of fear because perfect love cast out fear. Because fear has torment. Love doesn't have torment. Love completes the person. And that spirit does not want you to be complete. The love of God time and time again wants to complete you. It is why it's hard for you to get out of your seat and come to the altar and let God love you. It's why you come, if you do come to the altar, it's difficult for you to lift your hands and open your mouth and say, I love you, Jesus. It's so hard because there is a spirit that's afraid of love. Now, hear me. It's not God attacking you. It's the spirit that is resisting what the love of God can do inside of you. And if we could ever understand that or recognize that as a church, if you are a mature saint of God that's walking in the love of God and you see someone resisting a non, what we would think a non-confrontational sermon on love, 
It's God helping us to see, okay, that person's not yet made perfect in love. And that's who God wants to get. And that's when we have that perfect love. And here, here's, here's this, this is what God impressed on me that happens. Because when, you know, we just talked about uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, that love chapter, right? And, you know, love keeps no record and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and we're not holding ill will. Love always finds a way. But what happens is when you give love and the reaction is opposite of what you anticipated, you can withhold love. And you can withdraw love because all of a sudden you you could take it personal. You could be offended. You could be hurt. You say, well, I'm doing everything I can. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to have a Bible study with them. I'm trying to reach out to them. I'm trying to uh, love on them. I'm trying to help them. I'm trying to do all this. And the more I try, the more they pull away. And all of a sudden, it's like you want to withdraw because they're withdrawn. And it ends up where we quit on love. Love stops, love ceases, and all of a sudden the spirit of fear tends to win. And so love is the only thing that can overcome the spirit of fear because the spirit, uh, uh, the love, the perfect love casts out fear. And this is where we ask God, God, give me love. Give me love. If someone hurts you, you know, if, 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 if you end up being loveless, you'll be faithless for the situation. It, and that's what happens when someone hurts you, when someone attacks you, when someone comes against you, when, when you come against a, a person with the spirit that is tormenting them and afflicting them, when you come up against that and it hurts you, then you, hold, you withhold the love. And th- what happens when you do that, you inactivate faith. Because if you're loveless, you're faithless. And it says in Galatians 5, 6, that faith that works by love. And that's how faith works is when you have a perfect love towards that person. Now, that's not to say that everyone that we love, the outcome is going to be like salvation. Jesus already gave us the heads up. He said, look, I so love this world, but they're going to choose darkness anyways. But that did not stop Jesus from going to the cross. That did not stop. And so that's what's got, and this is how it plays out. So you can go towards someone in particular with love. And they can completely reject you, put you away. And there's a point where, like, you really, you can't go any further. But here's how it can play out. It scars you and hurts you so bad that you are drained, you're spent, and so you withhold that kind of love from the next person. That's the consequence. Now, this person, you know, you may have done everything they can. They walked away. You got to be, you got to be, you got to come to terms with that. Like, I've done everything I could. So I'm. what I can only do now is pray for that person. But... The danger of the, the aftermath or the, uh, the post-traumatic syndrome from that is that it so hurt you and so drained you that you're afraid to do that with somebody else. And I'm telling you from firsthand experience, the amount of times I have poured into somebody, into a family, and, and years of it, and all of a sudden, poof, it just blows up, and they attack, they backstab, they, all that stuff, and you're drained, you're depleted, and you don't want to do that again. And that's the attack. of the, That's the spirit of fear. The spirit of fear to evangelize. The spirit of fear to witness to someone. The spirit of fear to, to disciple somebody. And we ought not to let fear conquer love. What does it say? Uh, Romans 12, 21. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. That's how we're going to defeat fear is with more love. I'm going to, if fear's going to come against me, if fear's going to resist me, I'm just going to love more. I'm going to love more. And how you get more love 
get more God. After you get rejection, go to someone that's not going to reject you, Jesus. Go to Jesus in prayer and begin to tell him how much you love him because God is love. And when you're in his presence, you're in the presence of love. And you can be recharged. You can be revitalized. You can be restored. Your battery's reset again. And you're ready to go for the next person that's facing the spirit of fear. Because here's the deal. You're going to come and contact someone that the perfect love's going to drive it out. It's going to happen. Amen? And so I, I hope this is all right. Um, John 20, John 20. Now I feel the Holy Ghost. John 20, verse 20. Uh, so when he had said so, he showed unto them, just as Jesus showing his hands and his sides to the disciples. And the disciples see it. They're glad uh, when they saw the Lord. And so Jesus, uh, then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said thus, he breathed on them. He said, receive the Holy Ghost. Whoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. Whoever sins you retain, they are retained. This is a powerful scripture, and this is not the point, but I'll just throw it out there. This is what happens. If, if, if we retain love, we are, we are withholding the love for someone to be forgiven. Like this isn't, like uh, um, Catholicism would be, uh, known for using the scripture as this is the power a priest has to to in a, a confessional booth that if they confess their sins to me I could remit their sins that's not what this means what this means is the message you have if you withhold it you withhold the remission of sins from somebody but if you if you give it to somebody you now give them the opportunity to have their sins remitted it's all about the message and so again rewinding back if if you get hurt by the spirit of fear the spirit of rejection you now may withhold from somebody who has sins that they're holding on to but if you can overcome that barrier with love you can now help them have their sins remitted or we can keep them retained because we're retaining our love we're retaining our message that we have. But going forward, there's Thomas. Thomas wasn't there when Jesus came. And the disciples said, we've seen the Lord. And he said to him, Thomas replies, unless I see the hands and the print of the nails on Jesus' hands, unless I can see, you know, that put my finger in the side of Jesus' uh, a rib where they thrust him through, and if I, can't put my, if I can't see his hands and put my fingers in there, I'm not going to believe. Thomas was hurt. He saw love die that day, and he didn't think there's no way love could ever be resurrected. Love could ever be resuscitated. Love could ever come back to life. I saw love die that day, and so what happens when you're loveless? You're faithless because the spirit of fear is faithless, but God didn't give us a spirit of fear. He gave us power and love, and so here's what happens in verse 26. He thought love died, but love was alive. And love was so great, it did not want to leave Thomas in a faithless state. And so love came to Thomas, and he said, peace be unto you. And he said, Thomas, go ahead and put your, reach with your finger and look at my hands and reach with your hand and thrust it into my side. And what does he say in verse 27? Thomas, be not faithless, but be believing. That's what God wants to do for us. And that's what God wants to do for anyone that's struggling with a spirit of fear. 
or torment and infliction. God loves you so much that he'll preach the same message over again. You think love is gone. You think love is impossible. You think you're, you're unlovable. You think you're unreachable. That is a spirit of fear that you have grown up with. You've been exposed to it. I'm not saying you're possessed with it at all. What I'm saying is that it has that strong of a voice in your mind. But God will resurrect love in your life to let you know, I'm still reaching for you. Just reach for me. I'm here. Peace to you. Just put your hand on me. Reach for me. Feel what I did for you. I love you. I don't want you faithless. I want you believing. Mm. Galatians 5, 6. It's faith that works by love. And I shared this the other day with a number of you on 2 Corinthians five fourteen, that the love of Christ constrains us. And that word constrain means to control. If you read a New Living Translation, one verse back and also one verse after, Paul says like this, if we seem we're crazy, it brings glory to God. I, I, I like hearing Paul say that. He goes, if you think I'm crazy, well, it's because I'm like hanging out with God right now. But then he, 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 he turns it and he says, but when I'm in my right mind, it's for your benefit. He says, just time out. I'm going to go crazy for a bit because it's just me and Jesus. But what I'm doing for Jesus, now I'm with you, okay, I'll, I'll get my mind back together. That's literally what he says. He says, when, I, when you think I'm crazy, I'm doing something for God. But then I'll, I'll, I'll get back down to reality and I'll, I'll, I'll talk with you, okay? And so he goes on and he says, either way, Christ's love controls us. So he says, when I'm going crazy for Jesus, it's because it's the love of God controls me. And when I, when, I, when I change my approach and I'm working with someone, it's because the love of God controls me. And that's the power. We can't just be in love with God and keep it between us and God. We got to let the love of God so control us that it makes us get back to this moment. I got to deal with reality. Here are souls. This is where they're at. I'm going to help them with where they are at. Because I, and I love prayer. I love talking to God. I, I, I could just hang out with God all day. But I have to unplug from that. And I have to deal with someone's reality. Because that's when the love of God is in control of you. Is that the love of God constrains you to go to somebody. To reach somebody. And so God's perfect love drives out the spirit that wants to control us. And that's that spirit of fear, timidity, faithlessness. But if he could drive out that spirit, the love of God can control us. It's the love of God versus the spirit of control. And when one dies, the other lives. And I think I mentioned a little bit, I alluded to this, that, you know, about sensitivity. I'm looking at the time. Sensitivity, I, I really do believe that God gave me just a spiritual insight that uh, the millennials and Generation Z, that people say they're so sensitive and, and uh, they're a bunch of pansies and easily offended. They're absolutely right. We're sensitive creatures. But God made it that way because we, we are they upon who the ends of the world have come. And if we've ever needed a spiritually sensitive people to expose the devil and his ploy and his attack and his plan, it, we need those people now. But untrained sensitivity makes instability. But trained sensitivity makes authority, spiritual authority. People that have trained sensitivity, that they're not, you know, they, they, they don't. Because here's what happens when you're, when you're sensitive. You could, you could be around so many different spirits and elements that it could literally, you think you're going nuts. You think you're going crazy. 
you can feel like you're crazy because you you feel things. But untrained sensitivity will make you feel like you're nuts and you'll be an unstable, unstable person. But if you could ever learn to be trained in your sensitivity, you have authority. And it's very important that we we don't just brush off things and brush off stuff as just life and emotion. There's there's real elements behind all of that. Now I'm trying to remember uh, what my point is now. I don't even know how I got on that story. What was I saying? Sensitivity, generation, yes, thank you. <laughs> and so uh, here, here, here's, here's the deal, and especially since we're a younger church, and there's a lot of millennials, and th- this is not meaning if you're not a millennial, then this doesn't apply to you. It applies to everybody. But younger people are, are more prone to this, that the sensitive are easily offended. Okay? The sensitive are easily offended. And so we have to recognize that and say, you know, do I want to uh, be offended or do I want to be anointed? Do, 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 which one do I want? Because you could have one of those two. That, but that's just the way sensitive people work. You're either easily offended, we've got to walk on eggshells with you, or you could be trained in maturing your sensitivity, and you can have anointing and authority. You could destroy the yokes. And that's the power of what happens over the course of these past few weeks. It's been amazing. So a number of you have reached out to me, talked to me on the side, texted me, called me about, you know, how God's been working on you and showing you things from, as we talked about, the spirit of control. I mean, that, that was a powerful moment. I, I, can't, I can't tell you. I'm not at liberty to tell you everything that people have been telling me that God has showed them things and set them free. It's been a, amazing. But see, you, you can have that sensitivity and that awareness of, of the spirit of fear. In, um, but like, so like, let me just rewind to these past few Sundays. You talk about love. I'm telling you, as I'm preaching on love, I'm watching people. Like, you know, I'm, I'm looking, I'm watching, and I'm watching people that, that they, can't make, they can't maintain eye contact with me. You know, like they're looking, and then all of a sudden I look, and all of a sudden, you know, looking down. Or, or you know, all of a sudden, like they're just tightening up and tensing up and, or just looking down the entire time. And it's just the love of God. That's all. We're, we're just talking about the love of God. But see, we got to learn to be aware of what's in a room. We got to let the love of God control us so we can see what's controlling them. And that's very important for us as a church to be mature at that level. Because when it comes to the point, as we talked about the ministry of laying on hands, the altar call is going to come. And just because you got to recognize when you come and all of a sudden there's people staying in the back and they don't want to come forward, they don't want to get prayed. Just say, okay, God, how can I, help me to be sensitive. I want your love to control me. What, what does your love want me to do in this altar call today? What does your love, how, do, how can the love of God minister in this altar today? And this is what God's trying to help us with, to help us understand some of these things. I'm going to hurry up at 740. I've been rambling and uh, maybe we'll pause and open up for some questions or something. Galatians 4, 9. Let me just, we'll do two verses and I'll be done. How about that? So now that you know God, this is, this is such an amazing scripture. If, if, if you're taking notes or you have a note on your phone, jot down Galatians 4, 9 if you could. So now that you know God, or should I say, now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of the world. Now, that's the New Living Translation. It sounds very similar in the King James. But here's, here's, here's what I want you to hear. God knows us, this statement. So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you? Paul says it's better said this way. 
God knows you. We can say, oh, God, I know you, God. But really, God knows us. We love him because he first loved us. Now, here, here's the point. God knows us more than we know him. The more we know him, the more we'll know ourselves. He knows us better than we know us. And so if you ever want to discover what's inside of you, know him. Love him. Get closer to God. And it's, 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 it's why some fear love. It's why some people are so afraid to emotionally open up to God because he knows me. And if I get close to him, I'll, know, I'll learn something about me. I'll see something. It's just kind of like, you know, uh, you can, this is not a perfect example, but just say you have uh, a, a shirt and, uh, you know, you think it's really bright white, but then you put it next to something that is, like, supremely white, like the most whitest white, whiter than a fuller soap can make, is what the Bible says. And also now... You see the comparison, and because you're in the realm of that contrast, you come to the reality, this is not as clean or white as I thought it was. And so we might think something about ourselves, but the closer or the more I know him, who is holy, who is love, I will find something out about me in contrast to him. And when I know him, he'll show me things, because someone that loves someone tells someone something. That's why some of your family members can have conversations with you, you know, that, you know, others could never have because it's that relationship. He is our father. And so when we open ourselves up to God, and, and this is why some people fear the proximity of the altar, fear the proximity of God, of his love, of intimacies, because he'll show, he'll show you what's in your heart. He'll show you what's in your spirit. But here's what happens. The spirit of fear will convince you that God's trying to make you feel like an idiot, like a jerk. He doesn't love you. He's just trying to expose you. But that's not how it works. What happens when someone got close to Jesus and their mistake and their failure, when someone tried to force that situation on Jesus? They threw that woman who was caught in the act of adultery at the feet of Jesus. And they were, they were ready for Jesus to say, let's stone her to death. But that's not how Jesus handled someone in his proximity caught in the very act. He lovingly said, he who is without sin, let them cast the first stone. And one by one, beginning at the eldest, they began to drop those stones and walked away. And he turned to the woman. He says, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, there are none, Lord. He says, neither do I condemn thee. Now go and sin no more. And that's the power of not putting up defense when the love of God is preached, but reaching up to into his side, reaching up to his hands, and just saying, Jesus, I want to be close to you, and I'm not going to be afraid of you being close to me because I know you said that you will not condemn me and you'll help me to go and sin no more. Last verse, and we'll be done. Proverbs twenty twenty seven. The spirit of a man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. 
Or in layman's terms, the Lord's light penetrates the human spirit, exposing every hidden moment. This is why people fear love. They fear God. They fear that proximity. Is that If I get close to Jesus, he'll show me something in the light, and it's gonna, I'm going to be embarrassed. I'm going to be ashamed. I'm going to feel like an idiot. I'm going to feel like a loser. But that's not why Jesus exposes the light on you. He does that because he wants to help remove that so it doesn't hurt you anymore. You've been hurt before, but God will not hurt you. God will not hurt you. You know, there's a story that Billy Cole shared a number of times. I've, anything I could find of him, I listened to it. He has a story of basically in the church, um, this one guy left the church, and it was, I want to say it was a deacon, if I recall correctly. And he couldn't figure out, like, why the dude left. And he's like, what in the world? What in the world's going on? And, and he wept, and he cried, and he prayed for the man. And finally, the man got back to him, I think it was months later or something. And he, he basically said, I just knew if I stayed there longer. He, he confessed to him that there was a sin in his life. And he said, if I knew, I knew if I stayed longer, it would be found out. And it's so crazy because that's how the spirit of fear works. Is because it it it's afraid that it's going to be found out and that it's going to be it's going to be beat, it's going to be rejected, it's going to be hurt. But that's not what the love of God does. The love of God. And this, this is what happens in a church. We're preaching the love of God, and people just, like, literally, like, wither like a plant. And we're just talking about the love of God. It's the love of God. And we got to recognize that, that there's something in me. And it's not you. It's a spirit. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. Let's stand together. Hmm. I wonder if just for a little bit, I don't know, 30 seconds, a minute, an hour, I don't know, if we could lift our hands and our voices in a second here and just, can we love God? Here, I, I, this, this is what I'm asking. Every, every single person that's in this room, I don't care what age you are, whether you're, you're a newborn baby or you're the oldest person in the room, I would ask for everybody to participate in this moment of just telling God how much you love him. Even if you never lift your hands out of habit, even if you never lift your voice. Because remember, if you struggle doing that, it's because there's a spirit that's afraid that God's perfect love will cast out that fear that's inside of you. You don't have to be afraid of God's love. God loves you. And God wants to drive out that thing that's been tormenting you. Because fear has torment, infliction. But that's not what God's love. God has healing. There's healing in his wings. I wonder if every person, if you could cooperate and lift your hands, I'd ask everybody, every age, even if you're a child, even if you're young, every single person, if you could lift both hands, please, unless you're holding a child, I understand that, but if you have, if you have two hands to lift, can you do that right now? I want you to lift your hands and begin to tell Jesus how much you love him right now. I love you, Jesus.
Lord, I love you, God. Lord, I don't want to let fear keep me from your love. I want your love to drive out my fear. Come on, pray that right now. Love of God, drive out my fear. Love of God, cast out my fear. I don't want fear in me. Fear has torment. Fear has infliction.